This is the Kato's podcast, Food for the Journey. Season 6, Episode 5, France, Part 1, Lords. Hi, I'm Michael, and welcome back to the Kato's podcast. So I don't know if you know, but if you're enjoying these podcasts, but you're a native Spanish speaker, you've also got the Kato's podcast in Spanish now, Comida para Viaje. There are six episodes that I'm making this, so if you prefer to listen uh, to me talking in Spanish, then you make sure to check that out. I'll put the link in the uh, description box. And massive thank you, as always, to our sponsors for the Catalyst podcast. They are the Masterclass Sessions. And the next Masterclass Session, I'm very honoured, I'll be doing my second Masterclass Session for them. It's on Thursday, the 20th of April, at 1 to 3 p.m. UK British Summertime. So if you'd like to learn about my latest book, Loving Leadership, and how to power your business and your life with what I believe is the greatest force in the world, make sure to click on the link in the show notes and book yourself on. And if you just send me a quick message to michael at kataholos.co.uk or comment on social media or something that you enjoy from these episodes, you'll be entered into a draw. At the end of every month, you'll get um, entered into a competition. You win a chance to attend the Masterclass sessions for a year, completely free, and to watch over two years of full recordings. So make sure to click on the link in the show notes if you want to win that competition. So in this season, we are helping you to cultivate that global mindset, that awareness of other countries and doing business and having relationships with all sorts of different people and how that can open up your life and your mind to all sorts of amazing opportunities. And so far we've looked at Iceland and Egypt and Romania and Croatia. And today I want to spend the first of two parts on a country and the people that are very close to my heart and it's France. So I've been to France nine times now, uh, seven times to a place I'm talking about today called Lourdes in the southwest of France and twice to Paris, so I've been a few times, <laughs> and I'm very, very fond of the country and of the people. And so in today's episode, I want to talk and tell you about a place in the southwest of France that is very, very dear to me, or the people that I met whilst there were very dear to me and still are. Um, some of the friendships I've made have, have still lasted, and the things that I was able to take part in have shaped my entire life. They really have and so um, it's a place called Lourdes. Now, not some people say Lourdes, the cricket ground in Manchester. No, Lourdes, L-O-U-R-D-E-S. So Lourdes is a place in the southwest of France, in right on the border of the Pyrenees Mountains. It's a beautiful place. And some Christians believe that Mary, who is a very important figure in the Christian religion, the mother of Jesus, appeared there to a, lady, a small girl at the time called Bernadette. And from that, and it was in like the 1800s, from that they built a grotto, they built like a shrine, and then from that they built churches and then all sorts of other kind of areas, and they created this beautiful area, it's called the Domain, and it has gates, and, and once you go in it, there are statues and trees, and there's a river flowing through it, it's an absolutely beautiful place, and there's the grotto where they have this beautiful area built into the side of this little mountain, it's absolutely beautiful. And so people go to church there and they, they go on pilgrimage, all sorts of different people. And outside of the gate, you have the little village in the area, town of Lourdes, and have all these shops selling all sorts of things like you get in any kind of um, tourist place, really. So it's quite interesting. You're, you're in these cafes and all these kind of tacky shops. And then the moment you go through the gate, you're into this very religious kind of spiritual place. So it's a very, very interesting place. And then also, bear in mind, you're in the southwest of France, so it's really hot as well. 
And there are all sorts of different ways people go on pilgrimage if they're religious. Other people who are not religious just go as tourists to as a, like a day pass. And I had an incredible opportunity when I was 17 to go with a group. So they have like youth groups and they go uh, for a week. And honestly, it was one of the best times of my life. Um, and I actually ended up going back every summer for seven years. That's how much I enjoyed it. And basically what you do is you have these t-shirts and you go as a group and you help out. You take older and sick people who want to go on pilgrimage, they want to visit, but they're not, they can't really look after themselves. And you help to look after your group as well as other people for a week, and it's amazing. So it tends to work in two ways. You either go to a hotel and pick up these people and you push them around in wheelchairs, take them to the church, take them around the shops, take them shopping, take them for a bite to eat, hang out with them. Um, but you also get the chance to work in the hospital. So the people that are really a lot more sick and you might take them out of the hospital again around around the town or you might work with them in the hospital to help look after them because they want to go to the special place but they're, they're not well enough to be outside of a hospital. So as a young person working there, that's what you do. And it's amazing. And there are groups from all around the world doing that, that at the same time. Groups from England, groups from Spain, Italy, Portugal, France, all sorts of people. And then at night, there's lots of bars and, and cafes and you go out and have a few drinks and have a good time. And it's... So it's like voluntary service mixed with a a holiday with your friends. Sounds kind of strange, and it is, but it works. And there's just something magical. And if if you've ever been to Lourdes, especially if you worked um, in Lourdes in hospitals and looking after people, you'll understand what I mean when I say there's this very unique feeling it gives you where you've worked hard to try and help people, um, but you're also bonding with the team at the same time. So I learned so many things in Lourdes over my seven years. I believe that it shaped me as a person, helped me to understand people, lots of different types of people, um, a lot better. And if you get the chance to go, I'd recommend just going and you will understand what I mean. There's just a vibe in the place that I've not really experienced anywhere else really. And it taught me so much, so much. And I'd like to share some of the lessons that it taught me because hopefully it can help you in cultivating that global mindset. So I want to start by telling you a story of my first year. So you got to remember my first year working in this place. I've never been here before. I get there and it's just so overwhelming because they say, right, you're going to this hotel. You pick up a guy called Bob. I pick up Bob. Yes, right. What do you do? Uh, you, you push him in the wheelchair. Okay, where am I taking him? The underground basilica. What's that? Oh, it's this place. It's like a car park. What? Where do I go? Just follow these people. So I pick up this guy called Bob, a lovely guy, and he would had a stroke. So he's paralyzed all down one side of his body, and he's very sensitive there, so he said, don't touch me there, Mike. I said, okay, okay. He was an incredible guy. He's actually a wheelchair basketball player, and on the BBC TV, he was one of the people that do these, like, demonstrations. So anyway, I took him to this underground car park, as they call it, this massive underground church, and pushed him in his wheelchair and put him you know, at the front, and then said, right, Bob, I'll come pick you up in a couple of hours when this, this mass, this religious service is over. And so that was fine. It seemed okay. And all of us were kind of hanging out at the back of the church saying, right, you know, what do we do now for a couple of hours? And then it started raining and really raining. And when it rains in Lords, it comes down with big, thick, fat raindrops. And I'm thinking, oh, no, this guy is so sensitive, even to, for somebody touching his arm. He can't can't deal with rain hissing. He needs, a, he needs a massive coat, at least. Oh, he hasn't got his coat. Where do I get his coat? And I ran all the way back to his hotel because I thought, we well, he won't have his own coat, got my coat, and ran back and just made it in time as the mass was finishing. And I was out of breath, and he's like, you all right, Mike, why are you out of breath? I said, oh, I went to get your coat, because it's raining, you know, and it took me a while, but, you know, I don't mind doing it for you. And he looks at me and said, 
Oh. Reaches underneath his seat, pulls out his coat. I was like, didn't need to bother. <laughs> Had mine the whole time. And I just felt so silly. Felt, have you ever done something you just think, oh, that was, that was so stupid. And that was the first lesson I learned, is to never make assumptions for what you think people need. You need to ask them. All I needed to do was just go up to him and say, hey, Bob, have you got your coat? Yeah, yeah, it's under my chair. Okay, sorted. And that would have saved me all that hassle. And that's something I learned a lot when you're working with people who are older or people in wheelchairs is don't make assumptions about what they can do and what they can't do. One of my friends pushed somebody and then she got up out of the chair later on and walked off. And he said, you never said you could walk. She said, you never asked. <laughs> so I'm never making assumptions about what you think people want, especially people that are in need and vulnerable. Ask them. Definitely ask them. Don't assume you know what they want because I made that assumption that it was the wrong thing to do. And the second thing that it taught me, and this is why I'd recommend you go to Lord, it's a microcosm of the whole world, all kinds of people. So if you listen to the previous episode, I was talking about Croatia and its interdependence and it all kind of works together. Well, it's the same in Lourdes. You've got all these people from all around the world. Some people are so ill, I saw them, they were brought into the domain, into this area on stretches. They were dying. They were actually on death's door. And I met a lady who'd come back from death. And so dealing with these people are so sick and so ill. And then you've got people that are perfectly healthy and young people and children. You've got people from Africa, people from Asia. It's like a little microcosm of all the different types of people in the world interacting and it worked and it's an incredible it's an incredible thing and until you've seen it you don't understand but it, it kind of worked and so that's the second thing I learned is that we have these places well, that remind us that the world is you know one family one global place and if you went when I used to go to some of the services and just listen and you could hear people praying in all these different languages and up until that point I'd never heard people saying certain prayers in different languages in Italian in it Afrikaans in French and it does something to you when you see these things it's very visceral and it's very real so if you ever want to see what the world looks like in kind of all different types of people put together in one little space make sure you go to the Lord but also have you ever been to those places where it seems to be the same all these people kind of come together in one place and, and it and it shows you just the multifaceted nature of the world it's not just full of English people American people women people in wheelchairs there's all sorts young, old, sick, disabled. And when you see them actually all together, it does something quite powerful for your awareness, really, of, of who's in the world. The third thing that it taught me, and this is beautiful, is some people believe when they go to Lourdes that there are, there's healing powers in the water. And if you drink the water, if you wash in the water, you'll be cured from your ills. And then I heard a lot of people say, a lot of older people that used to push in the wheelchairs, they said, you know, Mike, the real miracle of Lourdes is it restores the old people's faith in the young. I said, what do you mean by that? And they said, well, think about it. How many people on the news all the time here, teenagers are terrible and young people are violent and all this. And a lot of these people would say to me, that's not my experience. All you youngsters are wonderful. And it is quite unusual. You think about it, you get people 16 to 18 pushing around these people in the 70s, 80s in the wheelchairs. And if you think about it, other than your own family, maybe your grandparents, your aunties and uncles, do you get the chance to do that? in just normal everyday society and I realised no I didn't even with my own grandparents and I never got the chance to do that and I think that's a lovely thing it opened my eyes to a lot of the mental barriers that we all carry around in our minds we're just not even aware of certain things so for example after that I used to be aware of wheelchair access for people to venues 
and before that I'd never even thought of that. I remember once coming back from Lourdes my first year and I just saw an old lady sat outside a shop in a wheelchair and just started talking to her. And up until going to Lourdes, I never would have thought I could have done that or I should have done that. And she was quite happy to talk to me. And even little things like when, you, when you're speaking to someone in a wheelchair and sitting, sitting down, kneeling down so you're at their level, you're not talking down to them. All these things it taught me. And I made some amazing friends. I remember one lady called Molly. She was 94. And I said, well, I'm going to make it to 95 so I can beat you. And oh, she laughed at that. And she had these shades on with these like googly eyes. She's an incredible woman. So it helped me and helped a lot of people. I know to build these, these connections with older people and vulnerable people. And we just helped each other. And they taught me so much. And I learned so much from them. And I think that's something that's quite sad, especially in the UK, Sometimes it's some of the connections between older generations and younger. We don't see them every day. We don't necessarily live with them. And there's so many connections that, that we're missing. And so to hear people that were older and more vulnerable say, this place restores my faith in the young. That's a very powerful thing to take forward into your life, isn't it? I remember one guy called Jim and we used to call him Father Christmas because he had a big beard and his hat. And all his hat, his hat had all these different... Um, badges he collected over the years and he used to take us out a drink and some food and I said you can't pay for this he goes look this is my privilege I, I save my pension all year round I save a good 500 pounds and I want to spend it on you guys because you guys are amazing and you look after us and you make me feel special and don't refuse this gift I've, I want to do this for you and he bought me this like massive pizza and he was the coolest guy I remember taking him up on the hotel on the uh, hospital roof and he used to smoke this pipe and he used to just, just sit with him as he smoked this pipe on this roof. Smelt like mint. He's an amazing man. He'd be long dead now. And so it doesn't just restore older people's faith in the young. As a younger person, it showed me these amazing people. Works both ways. The fourth thing they taught me, which is really important, is when you're working hard, and going to loads is hard work, it's not easy. You're working, you start at maybe seven, half seven in the morning, you might clock off any time between six or nine at night, you won't get a lot of sleep. When you're doing hard work or when you're doing work, it really matters why you're doing it. Think about yourself and your business. There's all sorts of things you have to do in your business and in your life that you don't particularly want to do. They're not fun, they're not enjoyable, they're not sexy, and yet you find yourself doing them. But the Energy and the attitude that you bring to it can make all the difference. And if it's a positive one and you see it's meaningful, then you're happy to do it. And if you're not, it can just be a total, not just a chore, but really painful and difficult. So I'll give an example. Uh, I was, would work in the hospital. And doing the hospital shift, sometimes you're cleaning toilets, just cleaning toilets. But because it was done as part of your shift and part of helping the team and people would thank you and you see the benefit of it and you know the people are going to use those toilets... It was fine. Whereas if you said to me, go clean some toilets, Mike, I'd say, that's not really the best job to do. So having bringing that attitude to it, thinking, yeah, this is part of what I'm doing, it's fine. It was absolutely fine. People said, did you know that was an horrible? I was like, no, I just, just clean the toilet. And the second example of this, and this was, this was amazing, was I got the chance to do a night duty shift in hospital. Now I'm not a doctor, right? And I'd never worked in the hospital, but you can do some basic things, caring for people throughout the night. It's hard work. You start at nine and you finish at nine. And I remember at one point it got to what they call the graveyard hour. It's like four in the morning and you're like half half asleep. And one of the nurses took me up to the roof to try and wake me up with some fresh air. And I'm thinking, you know, why am I doing this? And I'm thinking, 
because it helps. These people need caring for throughout the night. And when you've actually done it, again, it's meaningful. I remember one guy we're caring for, and this was this was heartbreaking, but also very beautiful. He had dementia. And so when I'd go into his room, he'd be like, who are you? Why are you here? I said, my, my name's Michael, I'm here to help you. All oh, right, okay, okay. And I'd, you know, I'd have to go in and out, help him brushing his teeth, all these things throughout the night. And the interesting thing was, this guy's long-term memory was amazing. He was fluent in Russian. He'd speak to me in Russian. Towards the end of the shift, I remember going in with somebody else. And as I went in, this person tried to introduce me, because again, up until that point, you'd always like to introduce yourself, because he doesn't remember who you are. And he goes, I know, it's Mike, I know what he is, who he is. Who are you? He said to the girl. And that was a beautiful moment, you know, that even in just a few hours, we built this kind of relationship. So it was hard work. And I remember the next day, I was, I was going mad with tiredness. But it mattered. It was helping those people, even just in a small way. So when you're doing hard work, bring some meaning into it. And if it doesn't have any meaning, just create something. Say, I'm sure this is helping somebody somewhere. So bringing the meaning into it can really help. And the final thing is just a practical point. We were extremely tired. I remember one year I counted, I got 12 hours sleep in seven days. You know, <laughs> you're not getting a lot of sleep. So three things that can help with them, um, if you're extreme tiredness. I mean, if you're doing a sports event, you know, if you're on an extreme, in some kind of extreme form of work. Uh, the first is that real tiredness comes in waves. You don't just feel tired at one point. And so what used to happen with us is you'd be so tired and it would just rush over you and you'd, you'd, your eyes would close and you'd often fall forwards or backwards. And if you can just ride that out for 20 minutes, the wave would recede. So if you feel that wave of tiredness, kind of ride it out, it will recede. Something else that's really practical that can help is if you get the chance, but you don't have time for a nap, have a shower. We used to come back in between duties, have a shower, and you wouldn't believe that would freshen you up. It's not as good as sleep, but it definitely helps. And the third one is, really, you can ride out your adrenaline. The adrenaline you get from the situation can help you, but only in the short term, only for a few days. So that's just some a note on if you're, at the moment, you're dealing with extreme tiredness. Lords has taught me, if you have a shower, <laughs> right, ride the wave and ride the adrenaline, you can do it in the short term, but be prepared to crash afterwards. It's not a long-term thing that you can maintain. So I hope that's been enjoyable and helpful for you. The, it's a beautiful place. It's a macrocosm of the world that, and, and how well we could treat each other if we wanted to. I used to always say that. I used to see people being kind in, in pretty stressful, cramped situations. You know, the streets are pretty busy. And just take something. You know, is it not making assumptions about people, considering the, the whole world as a group of people, restoring faith in the old and the young? bringing that meaning to hard work and how to deal with extreme tiredness and just try one of them out. Or hopefully it's affirmed something that you're already doing really well and you think, yeah, he's right, I can keep doing that. And even if you don't, as I definitely learned in Lords, just as you are right now, somebody loves you very, very much. Okay, take care. I'll speak soon. got some great facts about Lords for you. Did you know that it's got a population of only 15,000 people? It receives 5 million pilgrims and visitors every year. And one of the beautiful things they have at night is called the candlelit procession. Every nine o'clock, every night, since 1872, these people process around and they carry little candles, hundreds of candles, and they gather together and they call it the candlelit procession. It's absolutely beautiful.